tale of the unknown sailor, as retold by Lizzie Blower. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Cursed be the man who injures or removes this stone. It was the Lord's day. The sun was almost set over the parish of Thursley, so named for four of the thunders and nestled at the edge of the Devil's Punch Bowl, on the old road between Portsmouth and London. The place had welcomed many travellers over the years, and so had tales from all around the world. The parish itself had its own fair share of legends, though none quite so grim and gruesome as that which was to come. The smell of good food and the glow of a warm hearth brought the sailor to rest his travel-wearied feet at the inn of the Red Lion. An unfamiliar chill in the air had slowed his pace this evening, but not dampened his spirits. Nothing could bring him down today for he was to return to his ship in Portsmouth, and then off out to sea where he belonged, free from the hustle and bustle he so disliked in London. The door to the inn opened like a mother's arms, and the welcoming warmth wrapped round him. Ale in hand, he drifted to a comfortable seat by the fireside, kicked off his mud-caked boots, and let out a contented sigh. I could stay here all night, he thought to himself, and called for more drink. His reverie was disturbed by a rush of cold air. Three shabby but gentle-looking young men had entered the inn together, also wearied by the long road and in much need of fire and food. The first of the men, named James Marshall, came to sit next to the fire, greeting the sleepy sailor as he leaned in to toast his fingers. Glad of someone to talk to after the hours of solitary wandering, the sailor asked the man where he and his companions were travelling to for they did not appear to be local men. They too, he learned, were sailors travelling to Portsmouth in search of work, aboard a ship of good intent, for they were honest men and hard-working at that. The other two, Edward Lonergan and Michael Casey, were promptly invited to sit by the fire, and the kindly sailor bought each man a drink, for it was evident they had little money upon their persons. The sailor enjoyed the company of these three young fellows a good deal, and as the drink flowed and their bellies were filled with a hearty meal, he began to form a proposal. The road ahead was notorious for highwaymen, and only a fool or a criminal would travel it alone by night. He would invite these fine seafarers to join him on the long road to Portsmouth, and, if they accompanied him the whole way, he would find them work aboard his ship. Understanding the sailor's concerns, and pleased by this fortunate encounter, the three men gladly accepted and drank one more round of a fiery whiskey to seal the deal and warm their bones before continuing the journey. Outside the inn, the night was cold but calm and clear enough to see the way by moonlight. Laughing and joking, the four companions set off on the path towards Hindhead Hill. As they walked, the men shared stories of life aboard the Bristol, the Jupiter and the Isis, of Captain Johnson's strictness and of the happy night he forgot himself and drunkenly danced to the shantyman's tunes with the rest of the crew, of the beautiful girls they had met, loved and left on shores far from England, and of the women they left at home, 
faithful and loving to the very ends of the earth. The sailor, who was walking beside James, happened to glance behind him and noticed that Edward was beginning to shiver through his thin coat. And being a man who did not like to see the discomfort of others, the sailor offered his own coat to keep Edward warm. At first, for pride's sake, Edward tried to refuse this kind offer, but the good sailor insisted, for he was comfortable for the time being, and had plenty of spare clothes if the warming effect of the food and drink were to wear off. Reluctantly, Edward accepted. Unbeknownst to the sailor, it was this selfless gesture that would become his undoing, for Edward found within this fine coat a leather purse containing a good deal of money, and an evil plot began to form in the man's wicked mind. The sailor had money, and appeared to be dressed quite finely. Perhaps these clothes could fetch a decent sum from the right buyer, and the contents of the sailor's own bag were yet to be explored. Edward smiled to himself, and stooped down to tie his shoe. Michael paused beside him, and Edward beckoned him closer to whisper his idea. The same sinful smile spread across Michael's lips as the pair stood to follow their companions. At a lull in the conversation between James and the sailor, Edward sprung forward under the guise of thanking their newfound friend for his kindness in paying for their dinner and for giving them the opportunity to work. Not everyone was so trusting, and it meant a lot to the three of them that there were still others out there who believed in giving chances to those they had not known for long. The path here was too narrow for the three to walk abreast, and so James fell behind to accompany Michael, who revealed the plot in hushed tones. Up Hindhead Hill the company walked, and upon reaching the summit the sailor paused to take in the view painted silver by the light of the moon. It is a beautiful spot, he thought to himself, and smiled. It may be, had he not paused here, or had he not offered the very coat off his back to a stranger, maybe this tale would have had a happier ending. Maybe the three men would have made it to Portsmouth and become lifelong friends journeying off to exciting new places. Maybe the wickedness and greed would not have consumed Edward's mind. Maybe Edward and Michael would not have grabbed the sailor from behind. Maybe they would not have stripped him of his clothes and his money. Maybe James would not have taken his sharp knife and drawn it swiftly across this kindly stranger's throat. Maybe. The body of a man who nobody knew was found upon the hill, his head nearly severed, stripped quite naked, but for the few scraps of cloth they had been unable to remove. He was brought down the hill to the parish of Thursley, where he remains to this day buried safe in the churchyard. Suspected of this foul murder were three young seafarers who had befriended the poor fellow earlier that night. Edward Lonergan, James Marshall and Michael Casey. At the village of Rake, on the far side of the punch bowl, at the Inn of the Sun, a man named Lonergan came to sell his wares. He wore a fine coat, too fine in appearance to match the rest of his clothes, and had already spent a good deal of money, demanding the finest food and drink the inn had to offer. His two companions kept to themselves in the corner, clutching their tankards as if to hide their faces and flinching each time the door opened. Even to the uninformed observer, it was clear these three had a tale behind them and likely to be one of ill deeds.
The door to the inn flew open, and a band of enraged men wielding quickly devised weapons and three sets of chains entered. Casey's face fell. Marshall's skin paled, and Lonergan dropped the boots he was showing off to a local lad. Cries filled the air of the inn. Murderers! Thieves! Hang them! Each villain was grabbed by two strong men and dragged from the sun to answer for their foul deed. For their crime, Lonergan, Marshall and Casey were taken to the top of Hindhead Hill, where the scaffold stood in wait. At 30 feet high, the murderers were hung up in chains for all who passed that way to see. Upon this place, their bodies would hang for three long years, a warning to all that justice would be served swiftly and mercilessly. And so the hill overlooking the Devil's Punch Bowl came to be named Gibbet Hill, where only the bravest dare venture past sunset. Local legends tell of ghostly manifestations, of the creak of the gibbet, of long-gone chains rattling in the night, and of Lonergan, Marshall and Casey's dying pleas to be put out of their misery. So wholly believed were the legends, so afraid of that road with the locals, that Sir Edward Erie paid a good sum to put up a Celtic cross on the site of the execution in an attempt to banish these evil spirits and free the living of their superstitions. A stone was erected in memory of the unknown sailor, near the site of his murder. In 1826, when the road to Portsmouth was realigned, the stone was moved with it to the Punchbowl Bend. The stone was later returned to its original place on Gibbet Hill, and a curse inscribed on the back. Cursed be the man who injureth or removeth this stone. Once again, the stone was moved back to the Punchbowl Bend, though no records can be found of the misfortunes that surely followed. In 1932, the stone was moved for one final time by two men simply trying to do what they felt was good and right. Despite their good intentions, the curse struck. Soon afterwards, the first of these men suffered serious injuries, and the second died young of causes unknown. of September 1971, 185 years to the day. It was late in the evening on the old Portsmouth Road. A man was driving alone, and the night was calm and clear. He had not often travelled this way, and knew little about the area itself, although he vaguely remembered a tale of the devil throwing large scoops of earth at Thor to form the Punchbowl Valley. Perhaps he would visit the place himself, he thought, and see if he could encounter old Nick. He laughed to himself at the thought. He didn't believe in such things. He slowed his pace. There were warnings of deer roaming the area, and he did not want to risk an accident at this hour. 
He had not passed another vehicle for some time and thought it unlikely that he should see another for a good while longer, and he was unsure of how far the next town was. He shivered. The goose walked over my grave, he thought. Wait. He could see his breath. The interior of the car had become inexplicably colder. He reached down to turn on the heat, rubbed his hands together, and tried to ignore the nagging sensation of unease in the pit of his stomach. He went to turn on the radio to distract his thoughts, but received only static. Turning the corner at the punchbowl bend, he braked hard to a stop. A thin and impossibly pale man had emerged from the trees at the side of the road and staggered through the sharp beams of the car's headlights. The driver watched, frozen in his seat, gripping the steering wheel as the figure crossed in front of him, seemingly unaware that help was just a few feet away. He snapped himself out of his fear and opened the car door to try and alert this injured man to his presence, to get him to the nearest hospital or police station or something. He called out, but the ragged stranger took no heed and continued across the road, disappearing into the valley of the Devil's Punch Bowl. The driver rushed back to his vehicle, grabbed a torch from the glove box and edged his way towards the valley. Shining his torch below, the colour drained from his face, his heart pounded and his stomach dropped. There was no sign of any life, no sign of a body, no sign of anything but the heather. He turned sharply around, shining his torch through the car's windows and checking underneath for any sign of some desperate maniac hiding out to kill him. But there was nothing. Shouting one last time and gaining no response, the man returned to his vehicle, now surprisingly warm. He checked the back seats again for any nasty surprises and, finding nothing, continued his journey, vowing to pull over at the next bed and breakfast to rest and clear his head. The next morning, feeling somewhat recovered, the man decided to return to the site of this vision and explore the area on foot. He left his car in the town of Hindhead and followed the footpath leading around the Devil's Punch Bowl to where the man had vanished last night. Searching the area, and much to his relief, he found no dead bodies. He therefore decided to follow a path back to the main road, to where he had seen the figure stagger in front of him, and to cross the road to see from where the figure had come. The road was still quiet and easy enough to cross, and the man scrambled up through the trees on the opposite bank, wondering how on earth anyone had managed to navigate this slope in the dark, particularly a person in such a state of injury. He came to a path at the top of the hill, upon which a weathered stone rested, overlooking the valley. Upon this stone read the inscription, Erected in detestation of a barbarous murder committed here on an unknown sailor on September the 24th, 1786, by Edward Lonergan, Michael Casey and James Marshall, who were all taken the same day and hung in chains near this place. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Genesis chapter 9 verse 6. A chill ran down the man's spine. He dropped to the floor. I saw you, he stammered. It was you. As he looked back to the stone, then towards the road, 
he heard the rattling of chains and the soft yet tormented souls of Wales. 